When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Edwards goes to standoff. Now it's Bennett. JPR, the fullback. Is he going to get his second try? Oh, what a killer blow for the Welshman. JPR Williams, the fullback, scores the try that must sew it up for Wales. Welcome to a bonus episode of the Attacking Scrum podcast. The Six Nations is approaching us at a rate of knots. We have not got long to go at all. We've had the team announcement today and we've got that all-important first fixture against Scotland and Cardiff coming up on Saturday. And joining me to preview that and to get reaction to that team news is Simon Williams. How are you, so? Hi, good, Joan. How are you? Yes, I am good, thank you. Uh, yeah, last time you were on, we were talking about um, we were talking about your book, which I, I thoroughly enjoyed. If anyone else uh, who's listening wants to, to get to grips with what went wrong in Welsh rugby, then you should definitely check out Si's book. Um, but we're going to bring things up to date today, Si. And um, I guess with this Six Nations, are you excited or do you envisage this being another chapter of your book? Uh, yeah, well, th- th- there's a chance that, that Seals could explode on Saturday night, I guess, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's kind, of, kind of the risk. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's, it is a funny one, isn't it? Because it feels a bit like we're back in kind of 2002, really, that yeah. we've got a kind of a very experienced team of, you know, big names. You know, at that time it was, you know, Howley and Connell and Neil Jenkins and all of these players who have been eased out like a year before the World Cup in that case. Um, and then these young kids were brought in and they they struggled, you know, they were competitive, they were fit and they were, they were you know, playing an expansive style and they were great to watch. But they just got blown away by more experienced, heavier, you know, um, just just better teams, really more experienced and better teams, um, and it feels a bit like that. But there's there's it seems to be a kind of a a core of potentially really good young players there. But I think we're just going to have to just expect that things are going to be a little bit tough. They're not going to be able to be on it for eighty minutes for five games in a row. There are going to be bit times when they dip. And but it's uh, yeah, you know, it, it, we are where we are. We don't really have a choice, do we? You know, and it's Six Nations. We're going to watch the games on Saturday and. We we'll just have a look for the positives, I think, and, and there, there are some exciting players there. Yeah, there certainly are. So let's start with the with that team announcement news. Uh, if anyone has missed it um, by now, this is the Wales side to take on Scotland. So we'll start with the forwards: uh, Corey Domachowski, Ryan Elias, and Leon Brown. Uh, Dallas Jenkins will captain the side in the second row with Adam Beard and a back row of Jim Botham, Tommy Reffle, and Aaron Wainwright. And in the backs, it's Gareth Davis and Sam Costello at half backs. And then uh, in the centre, Nick Tompkins and Owen Watkin. George North missing out uh, due to uh, that injury picked up out in South Africa. And then on the wings, it's Josh Adams and Rio Dyer with Cam Winnett making his debut at fullback. And on the bench, Elliot D, Kemsley Matthias, Kieran Azarati, Teddy Williams, Alex Mann, Thomas Williams, Ewan Lloyd, and Mason Grady. So that is the side. I mean, the first thing that springs to mind is experience or or lack of it, isn't it? Really, I think that's the that's the thing. Um, what are the what are the areas that that you think? Um, let, let's start with, like, I suppose, the the areas the areas of concern. What are the the parts of that side side that you think are, are going to be up against it on Saturday? Um, I, I think 
the, the concerns gonna have to be in the tight really, isn't it? In the tight five, and especially the front row, and especially the props. Um, you know, there's a lot of inexperience there. Um, you know, Domachowski is a is a, a, a very promising player. Got on the wrong side of referees a bit in the in the, in the World Cup. Leon Brown, had, he, you know, he has a lot of ability and he's got a lot of the tools, but he just never seems to be able to string a game of string of games together. Um, you know, they could come off, but I think that's where the problem is, and that, that's that's where the the struggle is going to be. I think because there are parts of the team that are you know quite promising, quite there's quite a bit about them, and they could challenge Scotland, but. Um, but it's a case of just just hanging in there, not getting blown away up front, which is essentially what happened last year, really, isn't it? Um, you know, Gath has chosen to go in without any of our top three tight heads, um, not not entirely voluntarily, obviously. Some of that was forced down by by Thomas Francis making himself unavailable. But you know, it is it is an interesting selection. Um, obviously, an eye for the future. Um, I guess Leon Brown's there for his experience. He's been there before. I guess he's the most experienced of of the tight heads. Um, that's really the area that that is of most concern. And then um, the the bench then is kind of very exciting and terrifying at the same time. <laughs> because if you, if you look at the eight players on the bench, you've got two players who are around fifty caps. Um, yeah. Got, um, you know, uh, Elliot Elliot D and Thomas Williams there. And then the other six have got twelve caps between them. And and you know, Mason Grady's got six of those. So you know, there's there's no experience at all on the bench. But they're all very exciting players, and really looking forward to seeing how they crack on. So, I think it's you know as I was saying at the start, there's kind of a case of tempering expectations. We know we're going to struggle. We know we're going to struggle in the tight. I think, um, and it's a case of seeing what we do with what little possession we get, and how organised we can be, and how much pressure we can put Scotland under. I think. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I suppose the the thing is that that when the squad was announced, and as you say, there were none of the World Cup tight heads in there, not entirely. Uh, out of out of choice, but it seemed like a clear a clear statement that we're going for mobility in the in the pack. But I suppose the thing is, I don't know. You know, is Gatland ahead of the curve in spotting something that I haven't? Because to me, during the World Cup, it just seemed that scrummaging was more important than ever. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? It's um, and Gatland's always said this, isn't he? He's always talked about how few scrums there are compared to how few, you know, how many breakdowns there are, and that it's more important that for front five players to be getting around the pitch and clearing out and, and making their presence felt in that way. And you know, I was reading something recently where the I think the four the four players who made the most clear outs in last year's Six Nations were all front rowers. Um mm. so so there is something there. But then as you were saying there, Jed, you know, that if your scrum's getting pulverized, then you're just going to be marching backwards continually. You're going to be giving penalties away, you're going to be back in your own twenty two, you're going to be defending driving line outs, and you're just going to get overwhelmed. It's it's a difficult one, you know. It's it's you know, scrums aren't so aren't aren't as important as they used to be, but only if you can kind of maintain parity. Then, if if you're getting blown away, then you know the game becomes so much more difficult. It does. I think it's that it's that added effect, doesn't it? If you have a couple of scrums that get backwards in the first half, we all know that referees make their minds up, and that can become you know their interpretation of it can can really set the tone of a game. But also, then it's. I think it's what it does to to your backs and those key moments. It must be. It must be running through your head when you're, you're handling that. You know, any handling error is not just one. It could be. It could be a scrum on halfway. Scrum becomes a penalty. Becomes you back in your back in your twenty two. Becomes a try. It's you know it can escalate so quickly. Yeah, well, that's it, isn't it? I mean, and, and you know, just playing under pressure continually is, is bound to affect players, isn't it? You know, if you, if you know you're being pushed back, even if it's by a few inches, you know. 
at the time kind of thing. Um, it's so much more difficult to get off the line. It's so much more difficult to, to make an impact on the game because you're you're just chasing shadows, really. Um, so yeah, so it's, it will be interesting to see because that is it's actually a big front row. It's not a very experienced front row, but it is big. Um, and you know, well, we'll see. You know, Domachowski at, at, at times has shown that he's a powerful scrummager. Brown is really erratic because you know we've seen games where he's he's got blown away and he's giving penalties away for fun, but then he'll occasionally pull out a game where he's you know he seems to be fitted for the for the role. You know, he's he's making a making a mark of the scrums. Elias between them is a good scrummager, um, so that will help. But you know, um, I mean, coming off the bench, there you've got again Azarati, who's, who's a decent scrummager. Mattia and uh, Kemsley Mathias is, is, I think, a good player. I think he's got a lot of potential, but he's been in a, a Scarlet's front row that's been on roller skates most of the, most of the season, yeah. Yeah. which is a bit of a concern. Then you've got Elliot D, who's, who's obviously a good technician in terms of the lineup, at least. Um, but yeah, it is it is difficult, isn't it? it it's you know, for all of the changes in the game and all the ways the game develops. It's still you know the old adage still kind of holds true, isn't it? It's kind of forward to decide who wins the game. You know, the, for everybody else, it's, it's you know the decides what the score is or the margin. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they go. Um, yeah, as I say, that the size is there, the potential is there. You know, we'll have to see how they how they get on. What then about the other set piece, the line out? Because again, we've Will Rowland's not. Um, uh, yeah, essentially wasn't available first selection due to personal issues, and that had been a very formidable second row partnership, particularly during the World Cup. I mean, again, on paper, having David Jenkins, uh, Adam Beard. Um, then you've got, you know, I suppose in the back row you've got you've got Aaron Wainwright. Um, do they chuck Jim both them up a bit in in the line? Yeah, yeah I was going to say I think I think they do. Um, certainly got the right build for it. So there are there are some options within there, but for so often for one reason or another, it just hasn't always clicked for Wales as a um, as a cohesive unit. You know, for as long as I can remember, and that I think is is going to be as crucial as the scrum. Um, because yeah, if you've got if you've got both your set piece not functioning, it, it is nigh on impossible to compete in a test match, whoever you're playing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and even if you're if you're competitive, if you've got parity, you know, we saw in the World Cup quarterfinal that you know the lineout started falling apart, didn't it? Um, as, mm-hmm. as the lineout does. I mean, it was very odd actually from from the summer through the World Cup. Um, the lineout was either absolutely faultless or falling apart. There was, there was yeah. nothing in between. You know, um, it was really strange and. Um, you know, I mean, there, there are some targets there, and you know, we've got you know, David Jenkins is is. I mean, everybody seems to be talking about him as a potentially generational player, and he seems to have everything that he needs to play for you know a hundred caps or whatever. Not to put pressure on the kid, obviously, but um, you know, and Adam Beard's an experienced player. He's a he's a lion. You know, um, he's got fifty caps. Um, you know, Elias and, and you know D, especially when he comes on, is a very good technician with with uh, with throw with his throws, and there's. You know that they should be okay, they but they rarely, it seems, as you say, perform to the kind of the sum of their parts. Now they don't. Something isn't quite right very often with the Welsh lineup, and and again, it's you know if the pressure is coming through the scrum and if you know if the possession is all with Scotland and if we're on the back foot, then that makes it all the more difficult to get these technical aspects of the game right, doesn't it? Because you're kind of panicking a bit and a bit on edge, and you know you've got to get this right, or we will have the ball for another five or six minutes, and we're going to be back on our line. So um, there's a lot of pressure on them there, but you know. Um, you just got to keep your fingers crossed that they, they break the habit of, of what twenty five years or whatever we've been watching and the lineup. We'll be we'll be wheeling out uh, we'll be wheeling out Chris Wyatt and, and Gareth Llewellyn to, to wow. solve the problems again. Um, I, I tell you, two player two players that I do think in that pack um, 
perhaps a bit underrated in in this regard. You know, I know Adam Beard has has his critics, but certainly at the line out, and I think particularly defensively, um, you know, he can he, he's a, a real big asset in that regard. And actually, in the same reason, I, I put Aaron Wainwright in there again. You know, obviously we, we see him get thrown thrown up a, a lot and, and be a a big force on attacking line out play. But again, actually, I think his defensive line out work has you know has at times been excellent as well. And and I think in a game, you know, in, in any of these games, these are the areas that you've that you've got to get right. If you can stop that, if you can stop that pressure early on, it will just make it, you know, it, it will make that life a lot easier and a lot more bearable. Yeah, I mean, Beard at his best is is a terrific defensive player, isn't he? He's, you know, to make a mess of opponent line opposition lineup ball. Um, he'll get in the middle of driving malls. He'll disrupt. He'll get his arms in there, and he'll, uh, you know, he'll make a mess of things. So when when he's on it, um, he's a terrific player to have. You know, he's, he's one of the best around, and you know, that's why he was a lion. A couple of years ago, and he's not quite been at that level for for most of the last couple of years. But you know, um, he's got it in him to be a real nuisance. Um, and as you say, Wainwright is becoming a key player now. He's, uh, you know, he's he's, probably, he's the senior player really in that background. Oh, he's got forty odd caps, I think it is, or thirty caps anyway. Sorry, no, it isn't. Yes, it is forty three. Um, so um, you know, he's he's kind of a leader now. So for for a long time, he's been in the shadow of you know, Tipperick, Fallertown, and various other players. But now he's he's the man in the back row. Um, very you know, extremely athletic, as we know, so he can get himself up there and he can make a nuisance of himself. Um, yeah, you know, and, and, and a lot of it is going to be about that. I think it's it's about you know being nuisances. It's about getting in amongst the Scots and and maybe not nicking ball, but just making it scrappy and making it difficult and making it really awkward. And you know, one thing that Gatlin's teams always are is horrible to play against. So if he's managed to get them into that kind of you know, zone, that kind of frame of mind over the last last couple of weeks. Um, it's quite interesting, you know, that the team is is very kind of Wales centred. You know, most of the players are playing the rugby in Wales, so so they will have had a couple of weeks together, which the Scottish team won't have because you know some some of the Scottish players are away, obviously. Um, but um, but yeah, yeah. So it it is going to be about making a mess and making a nuisance of ourselves, and it's quite interesting actually. The, the roof's been left open because you'd have thought that that would work, work in in our favour because I guess what we're trying to do is to bring the Scots down. Level a bit, <laughs> so, yeah. This, this is this is you know it, it rears its head, doesn't it? Every every once in a while, the the closing the roof thing, um, and yeah, it, it kind of. I, I when I read that headline earlier, I thought it, it just sounded a bit like the kind of Andy Robinson in twenty ten. You know, when they, that Scot- Scottish team could barely throw three passes together, <laughs> wanted to keep yeah, wanted to keep the roof open because they thought it was going to rain, and obviously it was an incredible game that day. But yeah, this time round, you know, they're, they're a much more fluid. Unit a really settled backline, and you know, in Finn Russell, have one of the one of the best playmakers in the world. So, yeah, you would have thought it would have it would have suited them. You know, seemingly the only reason you would think is that the atmosphere is more intimidating when the the roof is closed. But I've never really bought into that either. I, I think you know, everyone wants to play in front of a good atmosphere, regardless of of which way round it is. So, um, yeah, I, I you know, I I think to be honest, I, I'm not really sure how that plays as an advantage to Scotland. It's a weird one, isn't it? I don't know whether people just have this kind of folk memory of you know the twenty thirteen England game and just think every yeah. game is like that in Cardiff, and, and yeah. it isn't. You know, <laughs> kind of it isn't. I mean, the last time I went, it was to a, to Wales France in twenty twenty, I think, and it, it was a terrible atmosphere. You know, people weren't watching the oh. game. France were you know, they got ahead and they kind of stayed ahead, and they, they didn't really play that fluidly, but they stayed comfortably ahead and they won the game um, in the end, even though Wales could have nicked it right at the end of the break, but. But the atmosphere was was dreadful, you know. I mean, I, I, I can't remember if the roof was open or shut, but you know, 
most of the fans they weren't watching the game really. You know, the French fans were, they were having a great time. But you know, unless unless the team give the fans something to get involved with, then you know, I don't think closing the roof and the atmosphere and all of that is is much of a thing. But you know, it is a bit of a concern. If if we if we think the closing the roof and, and having an atmosphere on our side is gonna help us, then we may be in more trouble than we think. Well, we may. I mean, it seems to me that a lot of the the causes for optimism or, or people for kind of backing Wales seems to be centred around this Scotland hoodoo of not having won in Cardiff since 2002, which I suppose is something to cling on to. But I think you've also got to remember that they absolutely battered us last year. And, um, you know, they they did win in Lethley, uh during COVID times. I, I'm, I, I'm more inclined to put that one down with an asterisk next to it that, you know, it kind of doesn't... It, Look, it counts technically, but but it also kind of doesn't. Um, I'm not sure that they'll be as bothered about this. You know, I think if the game gets tight, that might it might tense things up a bit. But I I don't know if you were Scotland, you, I think you'd look at it on paper and go, right, this is our this is our big chance, particularly targeting target targeting Wales up front. I would be tempted if I were Greg Tanz and say, look, same as last year, go and go and do it again. Yeah, well, this is the thing, isn't it? You know, we I think at the start of last year's Six Nations, a lot of us. Well, supporters were kind of clinging to this notion that you know Gatlin had the sign on on Scotland and you know yeah. never lost at home to the Blues, you know any of the blue teams, you know, and and, and was competitive and always made the team difficult. Um, and he mixed and matched a bit with the team, but he but he also he always had that core of experienced players there, and you know he'd never lost to Scotland, and then it was what was it thirty five seven, like it was just just blown mm. away, completely destroyed. You know, we were, and and even in that game, you know, there was there was a moment towards the end of the first half where you kind of thought, you know, they're, they're not Scotland aren't playing that well here. They're they're ahead, and they're dominant, and they should be winning by more, but they weren't, um, and it was very close. And I think we had a chance late in the first half to to draw. Yeah, we did. I think the ball Rio Dyer couldn't hang on to it, could he? That's it. That's right. Yeah, yeah, and then. And then you kind of thought, well, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe the hoodoo will strike again. Maybe Gatlin's got, got the sign. And then they came out and they blew us away, you know, and, and it could have been more, you know, it was just complete one-way traffic by the end. So that hoodoo's gone. I don't think there is that issue, really. Um, and when, you know, when these records go, they do tend to go with a bit of a bang, you know, there's, you know, in, in, I mean, <laughs> just, just go back to the book, you know, I wrote about the, um, the 1982 Wales-Scotland game, which, you know, Wales hadn't lost at home for 14 years. Um you know, the results have been becoming scrappier, and then all of a sudden Scotland came in and just blew Wales away. And it was, I think it was 34 18, I think just completely smashed. Um, same with England when they came to Cardiff in 1991, they hadn't won for 28 years in Cardiff, and they just smashed Wales. Now they just ground Wales into the dirt. I think it was only one try to nil, but it was like one try and seven penalties. I think it was just an obliteration. So, so when these things go, they do go with a bang, um, and that's that's kind of. The concern, so I don't think there'll be you know the hoodoo will have any bearing on it. Gatlin's aura has kind of gone last year. He's kind of talking about starting again, and you know the, the kind of the pundits are all talking about some short term pain and maybe long term gain a, a bit as people be talking about the regions and how, how they will reset. So yeah, it's you know it's it is Scotland's to lose. You know it's it's, it's a kind of game where I was looking at the, the bookies reports. I think William Hill was saying that it was a, a one point game to Scotland, which I find just astonishing. Yeah. No, it's, um... I mean, this must be based on historical data and and things like that, really, because I think if you look at the two teams, yeah. uh, you know, Scotland, out of all the Six Nations side, actually, Scotland is the most settled from the yeah. World Cup, isn't it? You know, there's not been a huge amount of change. They've not really lost anyone. They lost Hogg before the World Cup, uh, whereas, you know, whereas Wales have lost, you know, have lost bigger Williams. Uh, so, yeah, Liam Williams have lost, um, you know, lost Anscombe. 
um, and then the injuries to, to Derry Lake and, uh, and Jack Morgan as well. You know, there's, there's a lot of change in that Welsh side, where Scotland are largely, you know, largely untouched. So, you know, in that regard, I think they do. I think they, they should go in quite comfortable favourites. Um, what, what I'd like to put to you, though, Sai, is, is let's, let's look at this. You know, if you were Warren Gatlin, would you rather be in the situation of last year where you've got a squad with lots more experience and, a lot, and lots more players to choose from, but all the off-field shenanigans kind of bubbling in the background? Or would you rather be now with a clean slate, looking to the future and going, actually, you've got nothing to lose, boys. Go out there, show, you know, show everyone what you're made of. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, you know, at the latter, I think you'd prefer to be in this position now. Um, just because I think the kind of the vibe around the squad has kind of changed. Um, and, you know, you talked about the problems at the start of last year and everything that was going on. But you know, including especially for the players, there was the the issue of the contracts and the you know, the lack of agreement with the with the professional clubs and, and all the rest of it. But you know, they'd had a couple of years of, of really struggling and and you know f- feeling. I think that that belief. You know, at times I think in Gatlin's later years, the players that he had weren't quite to the standard they were in, his, in the earlier years, and that's you know we discussed the reasons for that before. But um, but they had a belief. And they they thought they would win. They really believed they would win, and they never panicked. And they eventually found a way. And that twenty nineteen Grand Slam was was the least uh, glamorous of, of of all of the twentieth century. Yeah. It was always probably the most impressive given the squad that was available at the time. Um, so I think you know that those issues are kind of moving away. You know, you've got a lot of young kids now who don't know any different, um, and you know, hopefully, um, you know, as you say, there's a bit of a reset going on. There's more of a a positivity about it, you know. The the Six Nations was difficult last year, but they finished with a couple of reasonable performances. You know, they beat Italy, played quite well in patches in Paris. The World Cup, on the whole, went pretty well until the quarter final. Until the quarter final, it was brilliant, it was great. You know, obviously, the wheels came off. Um, so there is that, but then it's kind of it's almost we kind of reset before the World Cup, and now we're resetting again before the Six Nations because, as you say, of, the, of those unavailabilities that we have for players who've left. To clubs in France and Japan, people are injured, uh, people are retired. So um, it is, and I think the phrase that's been used quite a lot is it's a free hit, really, is that nobody really expects Wales mm. to do anything. Um, and that's not a bad position to be in, I guess, if you if you are struggling and if you're starting out again and if you're trying to create something from scratch that nobody expects you to be doing anything. And, you know, a bit of good play here, a couple of good tries, a good defensive set here and there can kind of raise, raise, raise uh, confidence you know, and, and raise the decibels, I guess, in the stadium as well. Um, but yeah, yeah, you'd, you'd, you'd prefer to be here now than start of 2023, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Right, a few crumbs of, uh, of positivity in there. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I promise there is going to be some more positivity because I'm feeling strangely uh, optimistic uh, about this as well. So uh, yeah, the, the rare optimism coming from my camp, uh, more of that in the second half. So uh, yeah, join us after this quick break. Right then, so as I promised in the first half, there is going to be some more positivity from my side. Um, that should come with a caveat that I predicted Wales were going to win the Triple Crown last year. So, um, so yeah, please, please take all of this with a with a, a huge teaspoon full of salt. Um, that said, I do look at this squad, and there is, you know, with those players, it's so so exciting. You know, there are a huge number of individuals. I think Winnet at fullbacks are really exciting. One, like you said, the bench. 
you know, when they're they're fully seasoned internationals, no one is would be looking forward to having Grady and Lloyd, you know, coming coming off the bench. You know, two players very very different, but but you know, incredibly exciting. Um, I think it's just that it's just the problem that we've had these last two seasons has been that blend of experience because last year we had so many players towards the end of their career and loads and loads of young players. But this time around, it almost feels like those young players who've stuck in the squad are injured. I think, you know, it's as much to me about losing Morgan and Lake and and Reece Samet, who were players who, you know, are all relatively young and at the start of their career, but have got the, you know, the, the 20, 30 caps to their name and, you know, and proven themselves at international level. And that's the bit for me that I think is um, is going to be tricky is can these these really, really young lads step up and, and fill that void? Yeah, and, and with with the pack, you know, the players that you mentioned there, injury allowing, uh, and hopefully they were they were a long injury run, injury free run. But you know, Lake and David Jenkins and Jack Morgan as a spine is you know, potentially like a you know, decade long spine, which was yeah. you know, potentially world class. You know, um, they've got everything. Those three, I think, although they are very young and they are very raw, I think Jack is probably further ahead than the other two in his development. Um, but you know, as you say, injured. Derby League is injured. You know, Louis Samet's gone. You know, he would probably have been at fifteen. We'd probably have had, would probably wouldn't have played if uh, Louis Samet hadn't, hadn't gone to the NFL. I, I get, I'm guessing. Um, but yeah, there's there's such a lot of excitement there, um, and it is that resetting. It isn't. So we knew that we were going to be losing a lot of the, these experienced players. You know, a few of them have moved on before the World Cup by Gatland. You know, I think. You know, some players were told they were going to make it. Uh, some legends of the game, all-time greats, but. Um, and then we knew that some players were going to be leaving uh, for other clubs. We knew that some people were going to be retiring, but we did think that we would have some of that spine that had started to emerge during the World Cup to rely on. Um, and obviously, we've lost you know, both of our core captains. But you know, for for Gatlin to then go and say, "Okay, we've lost our two pups as co-captains, but we're going to make somebody who's even younger the next captain," <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's kind of was clearly with an eye to the future. But but there are just such such promising players there. Um, they just need to be given time and a long sort of injury-free run, really, to bed in. Um, you know, in, in a couple of years we could be could be sitting pretty, but it's going to be you know a bit of a bit of a challenge to get there. I think. What then would represent a you know a good Six Nations for Wales? Are we talking one win, two wins? Is it more about performance than result? What do you think the target or, or the aim should be for Wales in this tournament? Um, I think. I think we, we need we need a win. I think you know anything less than a win would be a disaster. I think two wins would be a good tournament um, because that would suggest we're making progress. So we've had one win in the last two uh, Six Nations, having won the championship the previous uh, season. So you know, but but failing that, a couple of really competitive performances. So if we could, for instance, push Scotland, lose on Saturday, but push Scotland hard and really stress them and really challenge them and really make life difficult for them. Because as you said earlier, Scotland are the most settled of all the teams. You know, and if they don't win, if they don't win in Cardiff on Saturday, they will never win in Cardiff. And if they don't challenge, or <laughs> you know, if they don't challenge for for the championship this season, then this generation will never challenge for for the championship because everything is set up for them. You know, they're stable. They've got a nice draw. They've got the, the hardest games at home until the last one against Ireland. So for us, I think it is about just making life difficult for for other teams. It'll be interesting to see how England get on. On Saturday, because obviously we're going there next, and they're in a similar kind of state of flux to us, and they've managed to 
put something more coherent and more kind of experience together. But they've also lost a ton of experience you know, and, and really key players as well. So, you know, it'd, it'd be nice to think we could push Scotland and push England and maybe get over the line in one of those. Um, you know, Ireland uh, away is going to be a, a challenging game if they are still at the level they've been for the last couple of years and obviously they're aging a bit. Um, and then you've got France and, and who knows, you know, because they're missing a number of players as well and, you know, missing the halfbacks and all the rest of it. So, yeah. I'm starting to talk myself into a Grand Slam yet. No, I'm not thinking that at all. <laughs> so I think it's going to be, uh, yeah, I think, you know, one win, two would be good and, and you know, competitive uh, performances where we can see some kind of pattern emerging, see some kind of coherence and some kind of game plan emerging, I think would be would be a realistic target for this championship. Do you think they'll get the patience from, from fans and from from the media? It, it seems to be that, you know, most, most of the media outlets either Welsh-based or otherwise, are suggesting that um, that they kind of will, you know, and, and people are expecting this to be a, a building process and a, and a team in transition. But the reality can change quite quickly, can't it, if we're on the end of a 40-point hammering to Scotland? You know, it's... Um, I, I just wonder how... what we're going to need to see from those performances in order for, for people to stay on board. Yeah, yeah, it, it is difficult. And, and obviously, we're a volatile bunch of wheels that we, we can turn on teams and turn on coaches quite quite quickly um but yeah it, it, it's um it, it's going to be difficult because because I, I, i'm not sure that gatlin quite has the credit in the bank now that he had early in his first term mm. with because obviously he came in and he turned around a team that had you know got bombed out of the pro stages of the world cup and he won a grand slam immediately so that bought him time so while he was rebuilding the team in 2010-2011, the results were a bit, you know, a bit iffy, and there were some performances that were really iffy, and you know, a couple of thumpings in Paris and Dublin, and, and things were going awry. That that bought him time because he'd shown that he could do it. So he came in last year with an aging team largely, and didn't show that he could do it. So you know, that, I think that credit's gone. And I think had we lost by a few points in the quarterfinal of the World Cup to an Ireland or a France or a New Zealand mm. or South Africa. Then he would have had the credit from that, but I think the way that we went out against Argentina maybe kind of you know, knocked a bit of the shine off that World Cup. So, yeah, there, there is. I mean, there, it isn't the key. I think I think they will be given time, and I think it is a bit of a free hit this tournament because I don't think anybody expects much. And given the context and given the struggles internally within the game in Wales and you know, the underfunding and all the rest of it, so I don't think I don't think there's going to be too much pressure on. But if, as you say, it's a few, you know, a couple of 30, 40 point beatings. You know, which is possible because you know we are talking about such, such a young and inexperienced team. Um, things could go wrong and go wrong very badly, very quickly. Um, then there is, yeah, it, it might it might be an issue for him. Um, that said, you know his record is generally he, he does turn things around, he does tighten things up, he does make Wales a horrible team to play against. Um, and maybe that's kind of the, the limit of our ambitions for this season. If we can see something better building towards the future, maybe. There's been a lot of talk as well about style of play, and this isn't just exclusive to Wales. You know, there's been a lot of chat about Steve Borthwick's England, given that although they reached the semi-finals, they failed to kind of really bring the public along along with them during that time. And Gatland historically, you know, has played uh, has played a very you know a very direct, physical, defence orientated brand of rugby that has served him very well. 
but part of me does think that that was due to the personnel that he had. You know, he had a big beasts in the pack, and he had you know huge you know, huge players in the backs as well. And I do think that you know that without those players at his disposal, there is a need to to play. A, I'm not saying that it's going to be barbarian style, but I think there needs to be a different a different style of rugby. And um, and I just wonder whether we're going to see that um, in evidence on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, it's it's always um, it seems more difficult to to you know sort of create a new style of play than it is to just just be difficult to beat and and I think that's that's somewhere that Gatlin some sometimes a struggle I think is, is taking teams onto the next level. He can he's tended throughout his career to make teams very difficult to beat very quickly, but then taking the next step isn't always that easy. Um, and as you say, that generation of players who came through you know, the late 2000s, early 2010s, they were huge players and they were they were freakishly large players, even by the standards of, um, yeah. you know, of, of the game at the time, you know. So having a, a three-quarter line of, you know, Jamie Roberts and Jonathan Davis and George North and Alex Cuthbert, well, these were giants, you know, and they were doing a lot of the carrying that maybe you would traditionally expect forwards to be doing. Yeah. Um, and, you and know... Mike, Phillip, Mike Phillips at nine as well. Well, yeah, exactly, yeah. So that, and then you had kind of had a pack of scavengers then who weren't doing so much carrying, but they were just marauding around the place, picking up the scraps, making sure the balls recycle, and all the rest of it. So he developed a style of play based, as you say, around these massive backs that that suddenly appeared. Um, and you're looking at the squad at the moment. You know, they they aren't of that kind of depth. Right? You know, there there are a few. There are people like Mason Grady who is you know obviously a, a big lump. Um, there are a couple of them around. The North is still there, but not on Saturday. But he's still in the squad. Um, but yeah, we we will we are going to need to find another way of playing. I think that um, that that Gatlin hasn't really had before um, because he's been very sort of um, focused on this kind of size and, and and dominance, you know, physical collisions and all the rest of that. So yeah, but it would be really nice, you know, if, if we could find something because I think our chances of taking Scotland on and beating them physically, let alone Ireland and France, are slim. So as you said, I think we're going to have to find. A way around, and maybe it's just making the game scrappy. It's just little dinks here, and little grubber kicks there, and turning, and, and and just 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 mixing it up, and just being creative and thinking on on, on their feet, and being less prescriptive and less sort of process driven, and, and more kind of playing what's in front of them, really, which is you know, maybe a naively kind of romantic view of the game, but just just to give Scotland things to think about that they won't be expecting. So I think that is one of the one of the things to be a bit excited about. But the Wales team, I think, is that. Nobody knows what they're going to do. <laughs> We've known what Gatlin teams do, but nobody knows what this team is going to do because we haven't seen many of these players together before and they are different types of players to your average Gatlin player. Yeah, just to, to turn to the opposition for a minute here, we mentioned Scotland being a very settled side, not having much churn. The coach is you know, the longest serving in the, in the Six Nations. But that said, they had a... They had a a disappointing World Cup campaign and getting out of that pool was always going to be hard. It was a freakishly hard pool. However, I think the performances, particularly against Ireland, were really disappointing. And I don't know, I I, I do wonder whether there is a there is a degree of, of hangover from that. It'll be it'll be interesting to see. I think Wales first up is a good fixture for them. You know, but I think if they had Ireland away first up. You know, you could see things. You could see things going wrong very, very quickly. But um, I, I'm just intrigued to see whether that, whether there is any any baggage left over from the World Cup, or they're able to park that and go right. This, like you said, this is getting towards the last chance of of winning something or competing for something with this generation of players. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, isn't it? Because I think you know that there's a 
there's a fine line between having a settled squad and kind of stagnating a bit, isn't there? And, and you know, I think Scotland are, are so settled now. I mean, essentially, they've just lost a couple of fullbacks. Like they lost Hong before the World Cup. They lost King Hong before the game on Saturday, although he'll be back later in the tournament, hopefully. Um, but they know the team, you know, and they've got some depth. They can kind of rotate players in and out. But it's essentially the same players in many, many places, in many cases. Um, and that that is a bit of a, a risk for them because they've never quite they've never quite done it. Have they? They've never quite challenged for they haven't really challenged for a tournament for Six Nations, let alone actually won one. Even though they've had this emerging team that a lot of people have expected to do things for a number of years now. You know, they they broke the the, the Twickenham hoodoo a few years ago. But then they kind of got stuck there. They didn't, you know, as, as we've talked about earlier, they didn't manage to break the Cardiff hoodoo, you know, so even even though it would be easy to do, you'd think. Um but yeah, it is it is it's going to be difficult. I mean, if they don't really challenge for it this time, then then when will they? And then there will be pressure on Townsend because he's been there for so long. And, you know, is, is it a case that Townsend is taking them as far as he can? Is it the case that the squad has gone as far as they can if they don't make that final step this year? I mean, my, my hunch is that they probably will because I think they are a good team that haven't quite managed to crack it. But as you say, the World Cup performances weren't great, you know, accepting a, a difficult pool. They didn't really fire a shot. They, they played well in the f- patches in the first half against South Africa. Didn't fire a shot in the second half. Completely overpowered. Didn't get started against Ireland until it was way too late. Um, so yeah, they'll, they'll be coming back from a dis- you know, very disappointing World Cup. But I thought. Yeah, I think you're. Uh, I think you're right. Just um, want to talk about um, a couple of other things to to wrap the show up. And one of those is the. Um, yeah, I guess to, to bring it back to off-pitch um, scenarios is you've been following closely the, um, I guess, the, the petition to keep the, the Six Nations free to air. Um, obviously, this is something that has been discussed in Westminster. It's been discussed in the Senate now. Really just keen to get your take on the the financial, cultural implications of, of what might happen should uh, should the Six Nations move away from uh, from terrestrial TV. Yeah, it's, it's a really complicated issue, and kind of my, my kind of my gut instinct would always be to you know to, to maintain the game or the major tournaments on free to air television wherever possible because you know that's what we all grew up with, and and so much sport has gone behind paywalls now that you know Six Nations is probably the high, one of the highest profile events that that still that's still accessible to everybody. So, and you know, and I'm just I mean I live in in an area of, of Wales where the game isn't. Um, you know, quite the kind of religion that it is in other parts, and but but everybody stops for the you know the rugby when the rugby starts, which is the Six Nations. <laughs> that is that is it. You know, that is what people want. People aren't bothered really about the autumn or the summer games, or certainly you know, club games. But the rugby and the Six Nations is something that brings people together. It's you know there there are, there are, there's an impact on the hospitality industry because you know it's a quiet time of year and people are turning out in pubs in there hundreds and thousands and all the rest of it. So they're giving those businesses a boost. Um, but, you know, that said, um, and, and where the, the tension is, I think, is that if if the game of the Six Nations tournament in particular is kept on the Group B list, which means that um, it must be uh, available to, um, uh, to, to a pay-per-view providers, they must have an opportunity to bid for it. So the Group A is events which must be on, on pay, uh, free to air chat, uh, television. The Six Nations are currently on on B and Pool B and Group B, and the position of the WIU and the position of Six Nations Rugby is that it should stay there because they think the tension that is created by 
terrestrial broadcasters or free-to-air broadcasters, yeah. knowing that PPV can compete is a, it is a complication that which pushes the value up, and that means that you know, they can get more money. So they might not get as much as they would, but they can get more, and they need that tension. And I've got a lot of sympathy for that. Um, so, but what is kind of frustrating about the debate in the Senate today, which was, I think was the, the the sport committee, the culture committee, um, is that the argument seemed to be well, it's very important for us to have this free to view, free to end because it's very important for the nation and all for, for all the reasons I've just set out. But you know, if if the Senate want to make that stipulation, firstly they don't have the power because it is a decision for you for the UK government um, because the, uh, broadcasting isn't devolved, but if they want to do that, then what makes up the shortfall? You know, so there will be less money in the game. And we know from discussions that we've had previously and, and all of the debates in the last couple of years, there isn't enough money in the game. And Abby Tierney and Nigel Walker were there for the WIU today and they said the same, there isn't enough money, we need more money because we can't support what we want to do. So all of the changes of the Rafferty report need to be funded. You know, the, the um, extra investment in the women's game needs to be funded. They have to find ways of making the regions better funded and, and more competitive. And so the argument is all about, so, so how do you sort of square that circle? So I think the, the argument that was being made and, and one of the arguments that I tried to make was, well, it's, it's, it's fine for the Senate to say these things and say it's very important for, for Six Nations to stay free to air. But that means there's going to be less money in the game. So there's a risk of you know, the, the professional teams becoming weaker, the national team becoming weaker, the, the investment in the women's game disappearing, community game, the community game not getting the investment that they previously had um, because they've got ring-fence funding. Um, and then the second part of that, obviously, then, is um, is that there is an opportunity um, for the Senate to really make an impact on the union's finances by renegotiating the COVID deal. So, you know, we know that there's a, a COVID loan that has been put in place that was um, negotiated by the previous WA administration, which was over an extended period and on a high interest rate. And now the, the period has been shortened. So the region is now paying out about two million each a year to cover that loan and other debts as well, which means there's eight million pounds just disappearing from the game. So one thing the the the, the, CNN and the the Welsh government could do to ameliorate that is to renegotiate that that loan. So it's kind of you know it's a bit of cakeism. It's kind of we want everything to be free, but we don't want to make any contribution towards paying for it. And that was the frustration, I think. Um, but we'll see. I mean, it, it isn't within the CNN's gift anyway. The UK government seemed to say that that they want to keep the situation as it is. So we'll see what comes of it. Yeah, I, I think that's a that's an excellent summary. And you're right, as with all of these things, it's not quite as, as straightforward. I, the thing for me uh, that is a concern, it's it's not just a nostalgic thing of watching, you know, watching the test. Like you say, it's it is that impact of of having um, of having rugby. And the, and the biggest rugby games available to everyone and, and on a platform that people will see it versus a very fragmented sporting and rugby broadcast marketplace now you know again if you want to watch all you know all the, the rugby that, that's around you've got to have various different you know lots of different subscription models in a way it would have been better for for the six nations to go behind a paywall in the 90s where it was only sky with the only with the only horse in town and is that is that an expression I don't, know. I don't think it is, um, but for the for the purposes of this, we'll say that. But they were the only player, and the reality was, you know, if you had Sky, you could watch it, and at least it was it was easier and and easier to find in that regard. Um, and obviously, I'm piggybacking off the the success that that Sky had had 
with the, the creation of the, of the Premier League. You know, now the danger is that even if it were to go to Sky, it is not the the, the power, you know, as powerful a marketing force as it, as it once was. And I think there's a real danger, you know, as we've seen with, you know, with test match cricket and things like that, that it can, it can vanish from, from public consciousness. Yeah. And, um, and I think that's a really dangerous thing, particularly right now when rugby is trying to attract a younger audience. Um, not that I'm saying that they're all sat around watching, you know, like, like we did watching grandstand as kids, but it's, um, but it's the accessibility. That's the thing. Is it's, if it's on a platform, whether that's whether that's the BBC or iPlayer or ITVX, it's it's that you know discoverability of it. The fact that it's it's there and easy easy to find that that is so important. And um, you know the I suppose the the, the silent um, partners in all of this is CBC, who've got a lot of a lot of stake in rugby, both in the club game. Uh, with the prem- with Premiership Rugby and with the URC and at international level with the Six Nations, and if you look at their track record in sport within F1, they put it all behind a paywall because that was the best way of driving um, of driving investment in the sport up. And I did, you know, you can't help but think that 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 could come. I, I recognise the argument about um, about maintaining it in order to to keep the to keep the bidding competitive between the. The terrestrial channels but i do um i do worry that that it's a very real threat that um um that it could go behind uh behind a paywall and let's be honest it's the only thing within within rugby that is that is likely to drive subscribers for any um for any subscription channel yeah yeah it's it's, it's often the only rugby that, that a lot of people watch isn't it so you know they're they're kind of and and, and for, for wales in particular maybe because you know we are we still identify, or some of us identify as being a kind of a rugby nation, even though the figures may not add up anymore. Um, you know, it is it is something that's kind of part of our kind of DNA, isn't it? It means that, you know, everything stops at this time of year because the Six Nations or Five Nations previously is on. Um, and, and you know, th- this is this is something that brings us all together. You know, there's a there's a line that I heard once, you know, that, um, you know, the Irish of St. Patrick's Day, we don't celebrate St. David's Day in the same way, but we have our national days during the Six Nations. That's when mm-hmm. everybody dresses up in the national colours and goes out, and that's where the big party is. It's around the Six Nations. And, and you know, if, if things disappear behind paywalls, um, that kind of visibility may be reduced. You know, I, was, I was driving up from, from South Wales on, on Sunday while the end, the final day of the um, England-India test was going on in, in um, Hyderabad. And obviously it was a thrilling day's cricket and, you know, India were pushing for the runs and England pushing for the wickets and they came right down to the wire. Um, and I was driving up through rural Wales and, and found that it wasn't on TMS, it was on TalkSport 2, which is not, not even TalkSport, <laughs> it's coming to TalkSport 2, which is, you know, like a digital only thing. So I was trying to get my phone to pick up the signal and all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, and it's kind of hidden away on TNT and, and, and that didn't kind of grab the kind of UK, you know, English cricket conversation in the way that, you know, past games might have done. You know, it wasn't as visible to people. Yeah. Um, and there, there's definitely that risk. You know, there is really that risk. I mean, one of the, the counter arguments, I guess, is because of the fragmented nature of the broadcasting at the moment, that the, there seems to be a kind of a, a whisper that what CVC may be pushing for is to bundle all of the rights up for all international games into one. Yeah. So, you know, the new world thing, as well as the Six Nations, would all be one bundle. Um, and so, that would be all on one provider. So it would make it a little bit easier because, I mean, currently we've got the Six Nations free to air, but you've got the summer tours on Sky and you've got the autumn games on Amazon. Um, so that is, is maybe more difficult 
for you know for individuals and also clubs and pubs to to justify spending on all of these different packages. If it's all on one, it may make it easy to find. I don't know. Um, the likelihood is it's going to just whack up the, that particular subscription fee. But you know, it's uh, it's a, it's an interesting one. It's a difficult one, and it's it's just a really really difficult uh, thing to get get the head around really and to to reach a, a conclusion on because it is so complicated. Yeah, no, exactly. But it's um, yeah, it's a, a debate that will that will rumble on until there's some until there's some change. It just to bring it back to Saturday to finish then, Sai, uh, trouble you for a for a prediction for Wales versus Scotland. Well, at the moment, um, I'm uh, I'm struggling to become optimistic. I know you're, you're feeling a bit more chipper about this, but I think I'm I'm seeing a, a ten point Scottish win. I think. Um, but, but hoping that we you know we make things difficult for for them and, and maybe you're in contention and maybe push and you know we may have a chance later on in the game. Well, based on absolutely nothing, I'm going to go Wales 22, Scotland 20. Um, I think I'm hoping for a sending off or uh, or something of that ilk to to skew it a bit, or maybe just you know maybe there is there is a, an element of the unknown and uh, and you know Wales will come out completely liberated. But I think yeah, this is built on faith rather than than anything else. But Nonetheless, it will be fascinating to watch and uh, we'll be back to, to review all of that uh, on Monday. Uh, as I say, um, make sure you subscribe because we will have these bonus episodes uh, now and again during the Six Nations. And if you're subscribed on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts, you'll get a notification as soon as we upload a bonus episode so you won't be missing out. But a big thank you to Sai for joining us. A thank you to everyone for listening and we'll be back to chat rugby with you very, very soon. Podcast Network.